When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less tax. This is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of Wealth Ability. So, what makes a great business? It may not be what you think it is. So today you're going to discover with, I have an amazing guest, discover what exactly is it that is keeping you from being a great business or would allow you to actually change so that you can become a great business. And I am so pleased to have with me Jay Steinfeld, who is the founder of Blinds.com. Um, I think that by itself almost says everything, Jay. But uh, in addition, a fellow Longhorn, uh, in addition, a recovering CPA, I mean, all sorts of great things from Jay. But Jay, if you can tell us, if you would, just tell us a little bit about the Blinds.com story, just to start us out. Sure. Well, first, thank you for having me on, you, on your podcast. I, it's an honor. I appreciate it. The, the short story is my wife and I had a little store called Laura's Draperies. Uh, mom and pop. She was the mom and I was the pop. And we, we went to people's homes and help them choose the proper drapery and blind. Well, that was 1987. In 1993, I'd heard something called the World Wide Web. I didn't know what that was and something called email. I'd had to find out what that was because I like to experiment. And so we just set up a website, the first one, lauras.com. And it was really just a brochure to see if we could look more progressive to see if we could maybe set up some appointments, but there was no e-commerce, no e-commerce, no shopping cart. It was just a $1,500 experiment. Well, a couple of years later, we see that there's a company selling books online, selling something online, Amazon, and thought, whoa, you can sell things online? That sounds cool. Maybe I'll try to sell blinds. And of course, everybody said, that is a harebrained idea, it's stupid. People can't see it, they can't touch it, they can't feel it. Oh, and you're asking me to measure and install myself? Now, so there was no market for that at all, which was a perfect reason for me as a CPA to go into, a, into a, this market. Why wouldn't you? It made no sense at all. But as it turned out, it made a lot of sense because over time we built it and we became the world's most popular and trusted online source for blinds, by far number one. And 13 years later, we sold to Home Depot for a lot of money. And I stayed on for six years on their online leadership team and still was the CEO of Blinds.com. And we integrated this technology into Home Depot's 2,200 stores and into their website. And, and now we're doing more than blinds. We're doing countertops and sheds and 
decks, vanities, storm doors, all sorts of things. It's, it's like a dream come true. And then I stayed on for six years after selling in 2014, which is peculiar. You might want to wonder how that all happened, but it did. And I walked away last year and I'm not now, uh, not retired, but rewired. I, I like just that. My, my dad used to say, Jay, that uh, retirement is, uh, uh, the, the word retire means to take out of service. And I, I, you're like me. I hope I'm never taken out of service. I may just rewire myself to, I like that rewired. I like, that's a, that's a good yeah. way to put it. So here's, here's kind of the obvious question. You did something that Home Depot must have tried to do. And yet somehow they can do it, but here's this recovering CPA and his wife who figure out how to do this. What was it that you think made your company so successful and allowed you to do things that maybe the big guys couldn't do? Well, it wasn't money. We didn't have a lot of money and we also didn't have a lot of people. The key is that this is gonna sound maybe odd to some people, but it was our core values. We had core values that said we were going to help people become better than what they ever believed possible. That meant our people, that meant our customers, that meant our CPAs, our attorneys, everybody was within our sphere of influence. We were gonna help them become the best that they can be. That was the purpose of our company, not about selling blinds. And we had four pillars, four core values called the four E's. The first one was to evolve continuously. That's self-evident. You've got to get better, but you also have to help everybody around you get better. And when you have an organization that is not only ensuring that each person is wanting to get better and is taking steps to do so, and also helping everybody around them get better, you have almost this autonomous, automatic excellence where a business is self-sharpening and just gets better. And then we weren't afraid to experiment. The second E, experiment without fear of failure for the purpose, of course, of getting better. And the third was in order to know what to experiment, how to get better and what we should be get, getting better at, you needed data. And how do you get data? You ask. So we wanted people to express themselves, express the third E and have a voice and not be afraid of speaking up. So when you've got people who says, you know what, there's a better way to do it, or this priority that you think, Jay, is so great, maybe I've got a better idea. And of course, I didn't do this just to get buy-in. I got this because I actually wanted to get the data. Now, when we got the data and we started doing all these things, there would be buy-in because it was the right thing to do. Okay, so now you've got everybody evolving and experimenting and expressing themselves. Now we get to the fourth E, enjoyment, enjoy the ride. For us, being able to do all these things that nobody else thought was possible. So we had these few people doing so much because that's just what we did. That was in our DNA. All we were gonna do is keep evolving and that applied to the technology that we were able to talk to customers, listen to customers, be intimate with customers and just keep working really hard because for us, working hard and being consequential and significant was fun. It was as simple as that.
We like to have fun and we like to do things that people didn't think were even possible. So, so you and I, we, we were talking about this before we started is that um, we, we share a, a real interest in core values and a passion about core values. I, I believe um, with every client I talk to, I, I, I look at their core values. I'm going, okay, what are your core values? And let's talk about your core values. And when I see people that um, partners that don't fit, partners that are, aren't having uh, good success because they don't share those core values, right? You, you can say whatever, you can say the core values or whatever you want, but if you don't believe in those core values, it's, it's not gonna work for you. But I find it interesting when I'm looking at your core values and I think about WealthAbility's core values and our, our core values are pretty easy. They're own it, honor it, have fun with it and break it. And they're actually not that different from yours because the break it is your experimentation. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's make sure that if we, we we need to experiment with it, we need to break it and make it better. Um, because if you're not breaking it, if you're not failing, you're not improving. I mean, that's to me, that's always been one of my my mantras in life. If you're not failing, you're failing, you're not trying. And right. uh, and then you know, you talk about have fun, enjoyment, right? So we have fun with it. And so uh, let me ask you this question though. So we're both big believers in core values. I think it drives I actually think it should drive everything in your business, but why do you think that core values had such an impact on your growth? Not not just your core values, but why is it that you had these core values that were so important? How do you think that drove your your growth and your innovation and and why you could do things that other people weren't doing? Well, because that's when we talk about core values or when I talk about core values, it's not whether people can recite them or not. It's whether they do them. Mm, yep. Our core values, the core values that we had were my personal core values. They are my personal core values. This is what I do. I wake up and I experiment and I evolve and I help people around me evolve. And I speak up for sure. And I want other people to speak up. And I like to have fun. I like to amuse myself. So that's just what I am. And it applied to the company. These were not aspirational goals that I said, I've read this in a book and this is who I want us to be. Very, very important not to be aspirational. It's the behavior. We did it because that's what we do. We just, that is what we do. And when we hire people, we didn't bring them in because they had the right skill and then say, these are our core values. This is how we want you to be. We were very deliberate on whom we hired. We wanted to make sure people already experimented in their lives. Yeah, let that me ask people you that. already were willing to take chances. Let, let me ask you a question about that, Jay. Um, to go maybe even a step further, how much do you think your core values played in who you attracted to your business, either as oh. customers, um, employees, or vendors? Huge. Absolutely huge. We had a giant vision, uh, the 2020 vision. And when people came to interview, we would talk about that. And everybody knew that we were destined to do something that was different than what they were ever doing before. And they wanted to come to a company where they could be significant. Because really, Tom, if you want to do something consequential, you first have to help people become consequential. They have to feel consequential. They have to feel significant. 
And we were able to attract people from Chevron and Exxon and all the big oil companies that are in Houston for less money because they wanted to be part of something where they felt significant and they were doing consequential work. You know, clearly. clearly and, and we retain them. That Who would want to leave that? If they're getting better as people, they're becoming better and they're doing this great work. Why would they leave? Our, our turnover rate was only 8%. 8%. Hey, if you like financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine. He's a client of mine. He's a former board certified surgeon and he's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime. You know, what, what's interesting uh, to me is uh, you, you and I are same generation and you know, we get a lot of pushback about, you know, the hay boomer and you guys, you know, you know, and, and, the, and the millennials and, you know, the, the Gen Zers, they say, well, we want to, you, you know, what's important to us is that we want to do something consequential. And what you and I are saying is, yeah, so do we, right? So this yes. is really generational. And, and I always tell people, if you make it about money, you've, you've made a huge mistake. And frankly, you shouldn't even be in business. Um, that it's got to be about, it's got to be about what, how are you serving? You know, what are you doing to make the world better? And when you do that and it's bigger than yourself um, and you have a vision for what that can become, then it, it makes it really easy. I mean, I just find it really easy to attract people into that circle when, it, because if you believe it and you're passionate about it, I mean, you're going to attract those people who can share that passion. Is that fair? hundred percent. I will make one nuanced uh, difference in terms of the way I think about it. I don't have any passion about blinds. I don't feel like blinds are changing the world. Right. Like, I mean, we're not, we're not creating vaccines. <laughs> we're not curing cancer. We're just doing blinds. It's not that big of a deal. But what our passion was, was for people, for helping people become the best they can be. And that was our passion. So, it didn't so matter did, if I was selling blinds or if I was selling igloos. It yeah, didn't matter. So, so, so let me ask you this question, because that's really, that's very interesting. I mean, that's fascinating to me. So you're selling blinds, which, you know, is about as almost as boring as what I do, which is sell tax services, right? So almost as boring. And the question I've got for you, is how, so you've got these amazing, you know, I, you know, improving the world. How do you translate to that? How did you translate that to your delivery of your product? Well, it, it's not just the delivery of product. It's everything. Everything in your company can always be better. You can never be complacent about anything. There's no stagnation allowed. And that means the way we deliver our product, the way we merchandise our product, the way we price our product, the way we portray our product, everything about our product the quality of the product, how quickly we get it to them. I mean, I could go on, you just name anything there is in a business and it applies to evolving that process, 
that organizational structure, that compensation plan, the way you advertise, the way you hire, everything. So there's no difference to us. It's about looking at the entire business and seeing mainly what customers really need and what they, not necessarily what they say they need, they want, but what they really need and making sure that you are focused, focused on making that customer experience exactly the best it can be. Knowing it can never be as good as it can always be. It's just, you can always get something better. I will never be as good as I can be ever. And if there is, that means I've just stopped thinking. That means I'm not listening because a lot of other people will tell me that there are things that I can improve on. My wife for one. So there's just, don't ever think that you've got it figured out because you never have it figured out and you never have enough information. So let me ask you knowing Knowing that you don't have enough information is sometimes enough because that'll at least get you to start. And a lot of people get freaked out about not even starting because they don't think they've got the right answer from the beginning. Oh, just, uh, just a step. Absolutely. A step. One, of the, one of the best things I learned in, uh, at the University of Texas where we, you know, we, we both went to school from uh, one of my tax professors was that the great thing about our profession is the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So it's actually one of those professions, it's a little like golf, right? You're never gonna be, you're never gonna be perfect at this because there's always something you can can know do or improve but let me right. ask you this question you talk about you talk about um you talked about the customer experience and it, it's pretty easy to see why somebody would want to be an employee at blinds.com how did you translate that to the customer because again the customer's buying a blind right i mean it's like in my profession the customer's buying a tax return i mean come on it's a tax return right how it's it's a commodity right? Just like a tax insurance commodity. And so how did you translate uh, that enthusiasm, the, you know, the values that, you know, improving all of that kind of stuff into the customer experience? Okay. That, that's great. There are several ways we did that. Um, one online, we're constantly looking at removing friction, providing better pictures, better videos, anything that makes it easier for a customer to be able to do it with the least amount of friction. You always, that's like step one, remove friction from the buying process. Second, how do you train our, our people on the phone to care? Well, if, you, if the already the goal within the organization is to help people become better than they ever believe possible, that also includes your customer. Right. So if that is really ingrained in you, your goal is to make sure the customer buys the right product, not just any product. And we compensated people for not just making a sale, but making the right sale. We didn't just put quantitative metrics into our compensation program. If you sold a product and it wasn't the right product, because we listened to calls, we had a QA department who would listen in on calls, not all, at random, and the compensation program was based in part on whether they actually were friendly and, and actually asked the right questions to be able to find out what the best solution was for each and every customer. So that when that customer is through buying, yes, it was a commodity, but the process and how they buy it, that was not a commodity. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. So number one is remove friction. Number two is uh, get people to actually care, right, on the phone. Do you have another yeah. three? And we'll compensate them so oh. that their behavior aligns with caring. And you have to spend a lot of time and money training them. And if you have a culture where they want to stay, then you can afford to pay more for, for uh, training because you're not thinking, well, I just have to, I'm just going to bring anybody in here because I know they're going to leave. With an 8% turnover rate, you can afford to invest in every person. That's a good point. That's a really good point. So, so let's um, let's move fast forward a little bit. Okay. And you, so you were in a you were an early adopter of a really very futuristic technology that nowadays we take for granted, right? Yeah. Okay. And we have some new technologies that are in the same place as where the web was um, in 1993, and that would be the blockchain. Um, when I think of blockchain and AI technologies, uh, two different technologies, but one one actually enhancing the other, AI enhancing the blockchain technology. So, and I always think of blockchain, I, I, I'm an accountant, right? So I think of blockchain as triple entry accounting, which is kind of what it is, right? Because it's got the two entries, plus it's got a verification entry, um, which is what the miners do in, for example, Bitcoin. So the question is, all right, so uh, you went from you went from uh, brick and mortar to <laughs> interesting enough, if I understand right, you went from brick and mortar to online back to a combination of online and brick and mortar, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, when I, we had stores, and I wanted to sell the store and did, and said I will never have another retail store again, and then we ended up with twenty two hundred stores. And, and now we have, now we've had COVID for two years and we've had people away from the office uh, because of technology, we've actually been able to do that. I mean, 50 years ago, we couldn't have done that, right? I mean, you, you, you would just been out of business. You couldn't have, lot, couldn't have had people work from home. Um, my CPA firm, uh, I run a small CPA firm besides our wealth building network. Um, we, we actually have almost no clients locally and we never see our clients. This, our clients, we have had clients <laughs> virtual, but we've had clients all over the country for 15 years. I mean, we've always done everything online from a client service standpoint. Now what we have is we have this odd piece of, okay, now when, at what, some point do the employees come back, right? Because they're still afraid, and to a large extent, people are still afraid of coming back and working side by side. Um, you know, we got a new variant, et cetera, et cetera. So here's the question. So okay. how do you, um, actually I've got a bunch of questions, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with two, okay? All right. <laughs> the first one is, how do you adapt to that change in technology? You weren't an expert in the web. What is it that allowed you to adapt to technology um, knowing that you were, I mean, granted, you know, you wanted to experiment and, and evolve, 
is, is that really what allowed you to say, well, you know, it doesn't matter what happens, we're going to be fine? Yes, it's almost like having um, an, an all-weather portfolio. We're diversified, and we're just saying we are going to find the right solution, and we're going to experiment every day and maybe multiple times during the day. And we're not going to try to predict the economy or what the market's going to do, to use that analogy again. We're not going to try to determine what the future is necessarily going to be. Although, of course, as the CEO, you're always looking 5, 10, 15 years in the future. Right. But also taking dead aim on today as to making sure you're doing exactly. what needs to be done today, right. but thinking of the end. And you, you are able to adapt because that's just what you're doing every single day. And everything and actually, the company is doing. Actually made, you've actually made adapting part of the company culture. Yes, that's, that's exactly the point. It okay. wasn't that we had to adapt. We adapted. That was what we that's did. What you did. That is what we did. That, that was the core of what you were doing. That was adapting. actually the key core value of, and, and having fun doing it. It wasn't that we were able to deal with the ambiguity. We loved it. We loved to explore. We loved to go into the unknown. And we didn't even like knowing exactly what it was going to be. We have these two giant test tubes in the office, like five foot tall. And in one test tube are experiments that we did that did not work. It's full of marbles. In the other one, it's the experiments that did work. It has about 10, 15% of marbles in it. And they're right on display. So people can see when you experiment, most of the time, it's not going to work. And we're proud of that. Look at all these experiments that we did. And yeah, they didn't work, but we didn't expect them to work. Because if you expect them to work, they're not experiments. <laughs> they're true. not. True. The true. only time you're experimenting is when most of them are not working. That's the only way you're really going to find something that's great. So, so let me ask you the next question. So, um, I'm, I, I'm, as you can see, I'm taking notes here. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, I love, I love it when I've got a guest. I'm going, I'm wrap, I'm taking notes as fast as I can. But my, my final question is: So, how important is it to you now? Again, um, knowing that we are a different generation than certainly any of my employees. I mean, I don't have any. I have no baby boomer employees. I am the oldest employee in my company by at least 20 years. Oh, and wow. I prefer to be around young, energetic people. That's kind of my, my nature. My question is, how important is it going to be to bring people back into the office? And how much do they need to be back in the office in order to generate that culture that you're talking about that made you so successful? That is the question of the day. That is, that is such a good question. I just wrote an article about it for Inc. Magazine, I write for Inc. I think that when you're bringing people into the office, they have to be in the office. When you're hiring them, because they're not gonna understand the culture of being away. I mean, you say, of course, but maybe that's a hey boomer kind of, of course, because a lot of people say, no, you can get that culture. And there are companies, there are some technology companies that are doing great and it's a distributed workforce. It's not even hybrid. They're just all everywhere right. and they're doing great. 
but that's the exception. If you really want people to understand what the behaviors are, they've got to see people. If you want to pe for people to make connections within the office, they have to actually be with them. And if you're walking through and you don't even know who these people are in that, in that office, and you say, wow, they're having fun. They're doing something important. Look at that prioritization list that they have on their whiteboard. Look at how they're determining prioritizations. Or you walk down the hall, you walk into a room and you see a whiteboard and you see that they've just mapped out the customer journey. And you say, wow, they were really thinking about that journey. That's really awesome. That's experimentation. That's understanding what the behaviors are, not what we say we're going to do. And I think it's really important. So, Having so, said that, though, I will yeah, say yeah. that we've had a distributed workforce, a hybrid workforce, for almost 15 years. I worked from home for, a, for probably a third of the day. Why couldn't other people? And we did. Our entire call center, which we call the Customer Engagement Center, took their laptops home every day so that if they were not able to come in, they could work from home every single time. And we would test it. And people would be able to work from home all the time. And uh, if, they, if their numbers weren't good, they'd have to come back in. So, so how often, just I mean, on, on average, and I don't know if there is an average, if this is even a fair question, how, how many days a week or how often do you think people, you, you need people in the office? Well, I, first, I don't think I could have built the company and done the things that we did and developed the culture unless virtually everybody was in the office. I know that's gonna be controversial, but I really felt like we needed to be there. There could be other leaders who can do it. I couldn't, I know I couldn't do it. So I think it really depends on the kind of company that you have, where your customers are based, whether you're doing things that are more rote and repetitive or whether you're doing things that require energy and this holistic synergistic view of improving every second. If, if, because if that's not your, your core, then maybe you don't need to be in the office as much. Well, so let me, add, let me, let me follow up. So PricewaterhouseCoopers, one of the largest CPA firms in the world, uh, announced a month ago that none of their people need to come into the office. They can work from anywhere yeah. in, 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 in the country, 55,000 employees. So yeah. how do you think that's going to work? I actually don't think it's going to work. This is, I believe, this is, my, this is my theory. It's just a theory. I think if you don't do it right now, you're going to lose a lot of people because people can move. It's easy to move to a different job because of technology and because so many employers are saying, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose all my people. Right. So right now, I think you almost have to do it. Yeah, but yeah. I think it's going to come back around and people are going uh, to go, you know, we've just lost so much. What, why, aren't we, why aren't we evolving? Why aren't we doing the things that we, we used to be able to do? Well, it's because nobody knows who everyone is. Yeah, let, let me follow up with that. So okay. I, re, I remember, so back in 2007, I remember this quite well, we had a, a, this was right before the crash, right? We had an employment market very much like today where uh, the employees had a lot of clout. And that was with very few employees. You, you were fighting for employees that they were getting higher pay. Um, they were, you know, and this was just when they were starting to say, well, we need more flexibility. We want a work-life balance. We want more money, but we want a work-life balance, right? So I never quite understood how that's supposed to work. 
okay, we want more money. I say, tell our customers that. Uh, sorry, but he needs a work-life balance. So therefore, you're going to pay more and get less. Um, not haven't figured that one out yet. But <laughs> but but what I found was here's what we found. We actually found that the more we bent over backwards for the employees and didn't stick to who we were, the less happy the employees were. So in other words, we lost. Actually, we were just, you know, we, we, came, we came up with all these new things and here's, you know, these new benefits and all this kind of stuff. And literally uh, a third of our employees left. A third of our employees left. When we got to the point where we knew exactly who we are, focused on our core values, and uh, we go, look, this is the way we do it, nobody left. So I'm just curious as to, you know, what your thoughts on that is, is, is that something that was just happened to be with us? Or do you think that you actually need to stick with who you are and make that decision and just stick with it, even if you get into this market like we have right now, where it's just really hard to find employees? I think the people who don't stick to who they are don't know who they are. And why would you expect employees to know who you are? Why would you expect employees to be loyal when you don't yourself even know who you are? And you're not being loyal to yourself. Exactly. Got it. When when we sold to Home Depot, uh, you've got this giant at the time, 80 billion. And now they're like 130, 140 billion, somewhere in there, giant 450,000 people. You would think that our core values would change because now we were part of this big mothership. No, we stayed exactly who we were. And Home Depot was smart enough to say, God, they're just doing all this great stuff. Let's leave them alone. And that was a big Jay, I think you were very fortunate. I think you sold your business to one of the great companies in the world. I'm a huge fan. (laughs) <laughs> of Home Depot. Uh, yeah. I'm not a big do-it-yourselfer, but enough so that I, you know, I, I need that, those kinds of tools and that kind of stuff. And of course, Home Depot has a major, and I won't mention their name, but they have a major competitor that's closer to me. And, uh, but I go in that major competitor and I'm going, you know what, they don't even care I'm here. Um, their stuff isn't organized in a way I understand it. And so I will drive the extra two miles and granted, that's not a lot, but I'll drive the extra two miles every day of the week and I would pay more money so that I could shop at Home Depot. So I'm, I'll, I'm happy to promote Home Depot. I'm a huge Home Depot fan because they treat me better. You right. know, I, they have that finding a person to help you at Home Depot is easy. Finding a people, person to help you at one of these other uh, big box uh, hardware yeah. stores is really hard. So the blue I, company. I, I think you were, I think you were so... I, you know, it sounds to me like part of what you did, though, is you aligned, you sold to somebody who had similar core values. Yes, they said that when one of the things they said when they left, they didn't tell me, of course, they were not going to show their cards. But after they came the first time and they went back and after the, the transaction, one of the things they loved is they said, wow, these guys are just passionate about their core values just the way we are. And this is not going to be one of these things where there's going to be this tension of how we operate and how they operate. This is going to work. And they felt the only thing they thought is Jay loves his company so much, he'll never sell it. That was a good thing, too, because that means they'd have to pay a little more money. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Wrestle it away from me. 
So I have one, I, 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 I lied. I didn't have two more questions. I, I have okay. three more. So I have one last question for you All right. because this is something I've, I've heard about you and uh, I think it is masterful. And that is that you ran your company like a public company, even when you were a small company. In other words, as I understand it, you had outside accountants, you had, um, you had an audit done when you didn't need to have that expense of an audit. Right. Why, why did you do that? And what was the result? We wanted to run a professional company. Having fun doesn't mean not being serious. I mean, there, you can be serious about the, the, the uh, metrics. You can be serious about accountability. And you can be serious about governance. We, did, we wanted to do, uh, have our audit. And we were doing audits way before we needed to. We didn't even need to do an audit for the I, bank oh, I'm because sure we weren't did. even borrowing money. We did it because we knew one day we would sell the company and we wanted the, the buyer to say, these guys have had audited financial statements for 10 years before they even needed it. I'm feeling pretty good about them. We had a, uh, we hired uh, Ernst & Young, we hired Silicon Valley Bank. We had a legitimate board with independent outside board members. And that's pretty scary for a CEO, CEO who doesn't have control of their company, who could then be disrupted himself or herself. But sure. we wanted to make sure that we had a legitimate board with the governance that said, your meetings are being run well, your uh, internal controls were good. I mean, we didn't do Sarbanes-Oxley, we didn't do things like that. I mean, there are things that are better on a public board that we didn't do. Right, I mean, you, you, you didn't have to do them I and mean, they didn't add value. But what I keep hearing from you, Jay, and, and let's end on this, is okay. accountability. When, when you have a board of directors, when you have outside auditors, all of that says accountability to me. Why, why would, not just for being ready to sell, but why internally, how do you think that helped you grow to have that kind of accountability? Well, when, you, when you're precise, you can, you can grow. When you don't, when people, when everyone in the company knows that everything is being measured and being measured properly, and that you're hiring really strong CPAs and strong bankers, it just, it's got this halo effect that, yeah, Jay is, Jay is having fun and he's got these concepts and he's kind of crazy. But when it comes to the business side of it, he's very serious about it. And that we are going to be honest and we're going to be accountable to our stockholders and that, that precision and honesty and trust, which are obviously the central part to any business, matter. And we're going to measure that trust. We're going to measure that accountability. And we're going to make sure if there are any deviations that we find out about it and we correct it. Because we want to grow and we want to have a really strong company. And these things are put into a company not to sell it, but to have a good company. And I want a good company. And it's much more fun when you don't have to worry about negativity. You just do the right thing and everything takes care of itself. I love it. And, and you know, of course, obviously, then that adds transparency. I always tell people, if you want to be big, you have to behave like, the, like you're big. 
You have yes. to start by, you know, who are you first before you can actually be that person, that, that person or that company. So uh, Jay, um, love it. Lead from the core is the book. Please, please, please get it. This is, <laughs> you think about the, it is the core. It really is the heart of your business. It's the heart and the soul of who you are. And it will completely change your life when you live by those principles, because you're living, you're, you're living true to yourself. Your employees are true to themselves. Your customer are true to themselves. Everybody is true to those core values. And uh, it, it, to me, it just makes life so much better. So Jay, um, outside of reading your book, how can we learn more about what you're doing? Well, uh, I'm all over LinkedIn. So connect with me on LinkedIn, but I also have a website, jsteinfeld.com. You can learn more about me, about my speaking engagements, all the things that I do, about the core values, a lot more on there. And of course, the book is probably the best way to understand Lead from the Core, the Four Principles for Profit and Prosperity. That's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, thanks so much for being with us, Jay. And just remember, when you really do get that focus on who you are, you know who you are, your employees know who you are, your customers know who you are, you focus on those core values, you're always going to make way more money and pay way less tax. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.